X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jeff Smith in Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, February the 3rd. Today, back in the day, February 3rd, 1959, the day the music died. Plane crash killed musicians Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and Big Bopper J.P. Richardson. These three icons of early rock and roll died young. Buddy Holly, 22, Richie Valens, only 17. Their music lives on like Valens' pioneering Chicano rock hit, La Bamba. And of course, the three musicians are forever memorialized in Don McLean's folk rock epic, American Pie. It is Black History Month. Of course, if you care about history, Black History is part of every month. But it is a chance to celebrate, and we are highlighting the lives and achievements of black Oregonians throughout history. Today, we remember William and Gladys McCoy. Yeah, like McCoy Park. William and Gladys were an Oregon power couple in the mid-20th century. In 1970, Gladys became the first person of color to be elected to public office in Oregon, elected to the Portland School Board. In 1978, she was elected to the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners. Prior to that, she was a social worker, held a master's degree in social work from PSU. She advocated for education as a way to build strong communities and combat racism. She said the antidote to combating racist fear and segregation is, and I am quoting, for people to have the experience of living and working together with people who are different from themselves at the very earliest age. While on school board, Gladys McCoy worked to desegregate Portland Elementary Schools, helped working moms find education, and promoted the middle school movement. Her husband, Bill McCoy, was the first African-American ever elected to the Oregon State Legislature. He was elected first as representative in 1972, later as a senator representing much of North and Northeast Portland. He served as a state senator until his death in 1996. One of his first acts as senator introduced a bill to ratify the 14th Amendment, which Oregon had never formally gotten around to doing. And thanks to Bill's work, Oregon finally did ratify the 14th Amendment in 1973, 105 years after it was first introduced. Bill and Gladys McCoy were also staunch allies and advocates for the gay community. Gladys was instrumental in creating a state task force on gay civil rights, and in 1973, Bill co-sponsored Oregon's first proposed bill to ban discrimination based on sexual orientation. The forward-thinking couple reminds us about interconnected the struggles for inclusion and equity are. Thank you, Bill and Gladys McCoy. Today, we have an interview with Alex Frayne from Eater PDX to talk about the Portland food scene. First up, it is time for what? It's the Quick Six local rundown. Oregon senators are calling for an investigation of the removal of spotted owl protections. In January, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service published a revised critical habitat designation for the northern spotted owl. They excluded nearly 3.5 million acres of forest land from federal protections, much of that land in Oregon, and opened it for potential timber harvesting. The change reduced the spotted owl's habitat by about a third. U.S. Fish and Wildlife officials previously acknowledged the spotted owl's declining numbers warranted an upgrade from threatened to endangered, but the agency declined to make that change in December. Instead, they moved ahead with a proposal to cut the protected habitat. A group of Western lawmakers led by Ron Wyden and including Senator Jeff Merkley and Representative Earl Blumenauer asking federal investigators to determine if former Interior Secretary David Bernhardt overruled guidance by career officials to remove the federal protections from the threatened owl species. Those of us who lived in Oregon in the early 1990s can remember the northern spotted owl and the conflicts between the logging industry and environmental groups. The spotted owl was originally listed as threatened by the Endangered Species Administration in 1990, later became a mascot for the Northwest Environmental Movement. The species, though, has continued to dwindle in numbers. The Biden administration has announced plans to walk back some of the fish and wildlife habitat designations, 
But lawmakers still want answers. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. On Tuesday, the Oregon Health Authority announced 619 new cases of COVID-19 in Oregon and 23 new deaths. That brings the death toll to 1,981. Oregon's test positivity rate continues to hover around 4.3%, with Multnomah County seeing a significant drop to 3.6% positivity. This is despite some recent jail outbreaks. Speaking of jail, an outbreak in a Multnomah County prison has sickened 81 inmates and counting. The Inverness Jail is experiencing a COVID outbreak that has so far affected 81 inmates or about 15% of the jail's inhabitants. Inmates have been given basic cloth masks to wear, but social distancing is practically impossible. Officials do not see much hope for getting the outbreak under control. They live and sleep in common dormitories with rows of bunk beds, not in single cells where people can close a door. Many people in the jail are awaiting trial and presumed innocent under the law. Last spring, Multnomah County reduced the jailed population by about 30% in an effort to stem the spread of the virus. Now advocates are asking for more inmates to be released for safety. Inmates are asking for better personal protective equipment, easier access to testing, and better access to medical care. A spokeswoman for Multnomah County detailed steps the sheriff is taking in response to the outbreak, including an effort to quarantine inmates who have been exposed to the virus. To date, no one has died in the Inverness outbreak. There will be no more pepper spray or stray punches. Portland Ted Wheeler will now take advantage of a security detail. Spokesperson for the mayor announced on Monday that Mayor Wheeler will, instead of just carrying on pepper spray, will carry around security with him nearly every time he is in public. The announcement follows a January 24th incident that ended with the mayor pepper spraying a lawyer who confronted him outside of McMinniman's in Hillsdale. The mayor supposedly started carrying pepper spray after the January 6th encounter outside Cafe Nell in northwest Portland, where Wheeler got punched in the face. City contracts with private security firm called G4S Solutions, which incidentally is the same firm that provides security for the Facebook facilities in Prineville. G4S Solutions has been the topic of some past contention, previously settled five discrimination lawsuits. It's unclear how often the mayor will use the security privileges. It may just be when he's out in public, but he may choose, like the mayor of Seattle, to have a 24-7 security detail, including one hiding under his bed. No, I don't think the mayor of Seattle has a security officer hiding under his bed. Nah, probably hanging on the ceiling like a spider monkey. Pressure is mounting for Representative Diego Hernandez to resign. Two of Oregon's largest unions have called for Representative Hernandez to be disciplined after allegations have emerged of harassment. As we reported on the local last week, Hernandez is the subject of a harassment investigation in which it was found that at least two women have credible claims. Now, as the Legislative Conduct Committee hears his case, the two largest state employee unions are weighing in. The Service Employees International Union put out a statement saying they want nothing to do with Hernandez, citing that 65% of their members are women. In a letter from SEIU Local 503 and Local 49, leaders barely fell short of asking for his expulsion, saying, quote, SEIU believes Representative Hernandez has engaged in sexual harassment of at least two women whom he had professional contact with and used his power to threaten their careers and credibility in the Capitol. SEIU will no longer allow any of our staff or members to conduct business of any nature with Representative Hernandez, 
and we ask that you take appropriate action to protect other Capitol staff and members of the lobby. Meanwhile, the Oregon Education Association called for Hernandez to resign. A letter endorsed by Jessica Vega-Peterson, who happens to have held the seat Hernandez currently holds, recommends swift action. Hernandez, for his part, says he is the victim of a vendetta and feels that the process has been unfair towards him. In a statement, he said he has no plans to resign. Nike is abandoning acres of office space in the Beaverton area. Nike is leaving a 280,000-square-foot area of office space in the Sunset Quarter at the Tektronics campus in Beaverton. One more example of the rapid decline in needed office space. Pandemic has forced so many companies to allow employees to work from home. About 15% of Portland office space is currently vacant, according to a survey conducted by JLL Capital Markets. And JLL predicts in its report that vacancy is expected to continue to rise. Nike announced plans to vacate another 200,000-square-foot office and flex space in 2021. There is some good news, though. The Portland area seems to be in a better position than some West Coast neighbors. One example, Microsoft just leased an 84,000-square-foot space in Hillsboro. Other tech giants are presumed to be in talks to move more business to our metro region. And finally, keep the heat on because there's still plenty of time to cozy up to the fire. Stumptown Phil saw his shadow yesterday. Philbert the Beaver, who is Portland's equivalent of the famous Apuxatani Phil, saw his shadow on Tuesday morning, indicating six more weeks of winter. Phil began his weather forecasting last year when he, quote, unquote, predicted an early spring, which didn't happen. Christina Parr, a zookeeper in the Oregon Zoo's North American section, said, quote, last year, Philbert predicted an early spring, and in March, we had to close the zoo because of snow and ice. Then again, Puxatani Phil's record isn't so great either. He might be better off flipping a coin. Let's give Phil the beaver another shot, though, as he is new at this. Last year was his first time in the hot seat. Before that, a pair of hedgehogs named Fufu and Nancy did the hard work of looking for their shadows on Groundhog's Day in Oregon. And, and that's that today's, today's Quick, Quick Six, Six Local, Rundown. Local Rundown. X-ray. Up next, we have Alex Frain with Eater PDX. And Christine Alexander with updates from the restaurant scene in Portland. Here are Alex and Christine. You're listening to X-Ray FM. I'm Christine Alexander. Joining me on the line now is Alex Frain from Eater PDX. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing really good. Um, but I'm hungry now after looking at your website because the opening, the uh, the uh, homepage on Eater Portland has a beautiful picture of a vegan noodle soup portland's most comforting mm-hmm. vegan noodle soups it looks so good it looks it so delicious the article by Waz. she's our resident vegan writer oh nice so you can get all things food on uh eater pdx and it's uh, pdxeater.com is that correct that's correct so there's an article i see that you have um that uh struck me <laughs> portland restaurants take a moment to bask in the bernie sanders meme <laughs> That was sort of an exercise, and, you know, uh, over at Eater, we have, um, you know, a, a lot of times during the week, we're writing about articles that we wish we weren't writing, right? Um, you know, restaurant or articles about restaurants closing, obviously, being the predominant one of those articles that I just get really exhausted by having to write because of, you know, how much I care about these restaurants and everything. So that was just kind of a fun little break in that when I noticed. <laughs> 
uh, online that a lot of Portland restaurants have been using that now iconic Bernie Sanders meme of him with the mask and the mittens and the jacket at the <laughs> inauguration. A lot of restaurants in town have been photoshopping that picture into their restaurants. And so we thought it'd be fun to do kind of a roundup and evaluate that. It's great to scroll through these. And there's one from the, the garrison that has him perched on the uh, <laughs> rim of a cocktail glass looking like an elf on a shelf, a Bernie on a Bernie on a glass. Uh, it's just, yeah, it just inspired. a lot of fun uh, to sort of break up the monotony and the dread of hearing about COVID news. And I know the, that's what you and I have talked about a lot. Um, yes. And we've we've talked about that. Are there can we should we get the bad news out of the way? Are there any closures we need to be mourning today? Well, the one last week that really got to a lot of people was Barasca, of course, which was a really lovely Tuscan Italian restaurant over on Southeast Clinton. Um, it, yeah, beautiful patio, awesome food. Um, it was the favorite restaurant of Kathy Wims, who's the chef and owner of arguably Portland's most famous Italian restaurant, which is Nostrana, as well as Oven and Shaker downtown. We read an article with her a couple of years ago about how she would visit that restaurant every month. Wow. Or, excuse me, every week. And, oh. uh, you, you know, the Roska also had that kind of uniquely Portland claim to fame where they started as a food cart and they gained a lot of popularity as a food cart. And then they crowdsourced their way into a brick and mortar location, really lovely spot on Clinton. And uh, as of, I think, about a week ago, they closed their doors permanently. Oh, well, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear that. permanently for that, what we've seen. Of, for that location or, or yeah. for now. Well, and I think that's an interesting angle that, that we haven't talked a lot about is that although some of these restaurants sadly are closed or closing, it is possible they could come back uh, in some other um, uh, formation, you know, uh, maybe yeah. start out as a food cart again. Uh, I guess I'm well, trying to see the silver lining. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, we have to find those where we can. And that is kind of a funny thing. I think we've mentioned it in some of the articles in the past is, um, and I think I mentioned it on the radio show, is that uh, one important most I don't want to say they're they're, you know, not hurt by this because they are, but they're resilient in a way that brick and mortar restaurants are not, which is our fantastic food cart scene. Mm. Uh, food cart pods are still open everywhere. You know, it's all outdoors. You can safely distance from people um, as much as possible, at least. And so we've already seen two restaurants at least move to a food cart format that were not uh, Higgins and. Um, um, Higgins and Montage is now a cart. The uh, former chef of Montage, when Montage closed, you know, in that fabulous kind of iconic late night spot under the bridge uh, in the southeast. Uh, when that closed, he bought the rights from the name and the dishes and everything and opened it up as a food cart in the asylum food cart pods over on Hawthorne. Wow. That's so going to be kind of seen maybe like a return for some restaurants to go back to their food cart roots their food or cart for places roots. to start new food carts, like you said. Yeah. Alex Frain is my guest from Eater PDX. Um, you've got an article, uh, 13 Portland Bar Patios, where you can imbibe outside. Yes. So hit now me. That is, Go ahead. I was going to say, that is 13 out of, you know, a lot. I mean, there are so many fantastic bar patios. Obviously, with the maps, we have to be really selective. And unfortunately, that just inherently means that we do exclude places. Uh, but And we really wanted to focus on kind of these larger formats. Um, these kind of larger format bar patios. But I guarantee that if you have a favorite bar right now, they're more than likely to have, you know, five or six tables out 
on the street parking area that was set up with some sort of cover and probably some heat lamps. <laughs> um, you know, we, we just couldn't include all of those. But so many fabulous cocktail bars and dive bars and neighborhood bars, you know, so many of them have, have adapted, not all, obviously, but many of them have adapted to at least having some sort of limited uh, um, outside seating. And... Uh- you know, and there is some light at the end of the at the end of the tunnel. I've been saying that too many times today. I got to stop it. Um, <laughs> you you do have an article about some anticipated. Uh, Brooke Jackson Glidden wrote about some anticipated restaurant and bar openings for 2021. Can you uh, share a few of those? Um, yes. So that that is kind of a funny thing. Like, you, you know. Um, I don't remember when it was last year, but, you know, we had when when everything shut down in March, uh, which we're coming up to the year anniversary of when everything shut down, there was, you know, a few weeks to months where we were just trying to do our best to report on breaking news, whether it was restaurant closures or pivots or what the state government was doing or all of that. And then at some point during the summer, I want to say we started getting the story again, which was places that were going to open. Uh, It seems, though, that even something like this pandemic cannot, you know, truly uh, uh, um, mitigate Portland's sort of entrepreneurial or pioneer spirit. Like people are still <laughs> opening up new restaurants, uh, expanding new restaurants, things like that. Um, I'm trying to think of um, particularly what we're looking at. Uh, I have um, I interviewed a bartender that I know who I really enjoy his style of bartending he's going to be opening up a bar called bar midnight the Stanislavo is his name um and he's opening this he has a very kind of romantic style to his cocktails whenever you see one of his drinks it's it's immediately recognizable it's often garnished with like a rose petal or something he loves using vermouths and other sort of fortified wines to enhance his cocktails uh really creative he actually was a um contestant for the world's most imaginative bartender a number of years ago and he's so here in portland Belmont. he is yes he's <laughs> fabulous he's been around here for a while he was bartending at raven and rose i think last time i saw him but he's bartending at bar midnight over on belmont nice um, so that's one that i'm particularly excited for and uh and that's in um, early march it'll open in early march supposedly and that's probably going to start you know mostly with cocktails to go rather than any sort of too much on-premise There'll be some outside seating, kind of like what I was just mentioning about the limited outdoor area. But where it's opening does have the both benefit and drawback of having a bus station directly out front of it, a, uh, a TriMet bus stop. So there's a little less room for seating. Oh. Um, Pecone's Corner is another one that I hope I'm pronouncing right. Speaking of Italian restaurants, that's actually been on the, that was supposed to open up last year, like early last year. And it just kept getting pushed back for a number of kind of generic reasons that people, you know, have always dealt with in the city. And then, of course, the pandemic made it much more difficult. Mm. But it's going to be a whole hog focused kind of Italian uh, butcher counter and restaurant and bar. Wow. That's really exciting. That's going to be Northeast Sandy. Northeast Sandy. Yeah. And that's just been, you know, something that we've been anticipating for a long time over Eater. It's been a really great team. They've had some preview dinners last year that I was able to attend. prior to everything shutting down and you know what what they're doing there it's going to be you know this kind of open fire style roasted game and things like that oh. as well as like italian snacks and pastas that sounds good i see really good i see another one on the list that uh is interesting because it's got a, a football connection and demican sue who's a portland raised football player apparently has been 
influencing Portland's restaurant scene under the radar for a while. He's, wow. I didn't know this. He, it says in the article that he's a part owner in places like Super Deluxe and Bay's. Super Deluxe, of course, the, the um, uh, fast food right. kind of cool, or, or I should say clean, good fast food burger yeah. joint. Um, and so he's um, going to be part of the Alberta Alley. That's right. That's right. Because he was involved in, I, I had kind of forgotten that, but when you mentioned Bay's Chicken, that's right. He was involved with the opening of Bay's Chicken, which is a fried chicken place located downtown. Uh, also from Micah Camden of Super Deluxe, who also founded Blue Star Donuts and Boxer Ramen and Little Big Burger. He is one of Portland's most like ubiquitous and prolific kind of fast casual style chefs. Um, but yeah, I forgot that they're, they're having a new place as well. And um, if you don't mind, I kind of like to talk about that a little bit, actually. Yeah, please. Um, so speaking of Mikey Camden, one thing that he opened up recently is a dedicated French dip sandwich shop downtown. <laughs> and uh, he opened it with the, and I think, you know, just kind of segueing a little bit, he opened that uh, late last year with the express, you know, uh, design choice to make it focused only on takeout and delivery. There is no on-premise dining and there won't ever be, even when things are lifted. There probably will not be anything except maybe a table outside. And I think that's a very realistic position to take. And yeah. I think that that's one thing that we're going to be seeing a lot in 2021. Now, many of the places that we mentioned on our on our article that we're excited about opening will have on-premise dining, but I think all of them have a mind to this new uh, system that we're going to have to work in. And a number of them are just doing that exclusively. Um, and so what you're going to be seeing a lot more of this year with new restaurants opening is the idea of a ghost kitchen, which is um, essentially a restaurant that operates solely as a kitchen, and the only way to get food is through takeout and delivery. Wow. And there's a lot of kind of bad um, association with ghost kitchens because often when you hear the term, it's because of an outside chef who's coming in to kind of buy a space to sell something via one of these, you know, third-party apps. Mm. Um, but what you're going to be seeing of a lot more is going to be Portland chefs, you know, making their food that they want to be making uh, with their community and their style in mind that just happens to be in this format that is more traditionally associated with kind of more corporate style restaurants. Well, and, but so, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, as a really quick example, we have a restaurant called Prey and Tell, that's P-R-E-Y and Tell, as Diane Lamb, who was the chef de cuisine at Revelry, and then she was the chef uh, and uh, co-founder of Sunshine Noodles, which was a Cambodian noodle shop pop-up over the summer. She now has a fried chicken Cambodian restaurant that is all delivery and pickup. So, and well, pray and tell. It's, it makes a lot of sense, and actually it reminds me of when I lived in downtown San Francisco. There are some, you know, in the in the bigger cities like New York and stuff, I think, you might have seen more of this, but the interesting aspect to me, and I'm we're out of time, but is the idea that this might make eating out a little more affordable for a lot of us, um, you know, because going out to dinner or to some of the restaurants that we'd love to go to is is sort of a stretch for some of our pocketbooks. And I think that having that uh, ghost kitchen, as you say, um, might actually make it more approachable, more affordable for people who might not necessarily be able to afford to eat at a restaurant by one of those chefs. Yeah, there's far less overhead. You have so much less staff. You don't have to pay for tablecloths and things like that. Right. So certainly, you can price it a lot lower. 
Right. Well, Alex Frain from Eater PDX, thanks for joining us um, as you do every other week. And uh, have a great day. You as well. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks to Alex for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for your five-star review. Thanks for posting something you learned somewhere where somebody might see it. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.